0: Preparation time has gone down.
1: Because we've gotten so confident.
0: Because we've gotten lazy. You Laziness. So? We just don't wake up early. I don't.
1: I, don't wake up I early. Hey, speak I'll for wake yourself. Up early. I wrote my notes yesterday.
0: I don't wake up early ever. I know. I'm very impressed with you. I did not. I
1: wrote my notes yesterday. I'm sorry, mate.
0: And it's not because I've grown more confident. It's just because I've grown more lazy. Maybe it is because I'm more
1: confident. I know I can wing it. That's probably not a good thing. Don't admit that. It's recording.
0: It's recording? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's
1: my new thing is keep it rolling.
0: Eugene! Eugene! <laughs> oh. Something don't like even a- tell me anymore. I feel like this shouldn't be allowed. Why? You don't even tell me when we're recording anymore.
1: These are the best bits.
0: Do you want half of my coffee?
1: Sure. Hold on a second. Gonna have to get a short coffee break.
0: We have successfully migrated everything to a new
1: podcast. Can you do it with a little bit more like excitement?
0: <laughs> okay, we are really excited to tell you that we successfully migrated everything to making it up. Shout out to Gordon for all of his hard work. You can now find us by, even if you search for Makin, M-A-E-K-A-N the other the second podcast feed making it up will show up as well so go subscribe to that if this is sometime in the future this is the last making it up podcast showing up on the making feed so go over to making it up
1: charise was just pointing with her fingers even though no one can see that
0: and that's not physically where podcasts are located anyway
1: So we both had a a revelation that we don't want to talk about tech today.
0: Yes. How many weeks have we talked about tech?
1: Don't look at it. It's not worth looking at it. Don't look at at it? Don't look at it. Anyways.
0: Fine, I won't look at it.
1: Yeah. So the big, well, before we get into it, you know,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: it's been interesting to meet some of our Making It Up listeners in real life last few days.
0: Yeah. For you? For you Well, you too. Over the last week. Shout out to Ross. (laughs)
1: Hopefully he listens to this. Thank you will. Cherise ran into this I guy named Ross,
0: and then so did you, non non intentionally. Hong Kong's really small for Super anyone listening small. to
1: this. So so yeah, it was uh, it's nice to meet people in real life, and it's always still kind of fascinating when you meet someone that you have no real prior connection to, and it's just through word of mouth.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's and actually, you met someone else as well who had already heard of what you're doing, like who had already heard of Macon before you even had to pitch her about it
1: through Ross. through ross yes yeah, we should make ross part of our street team the macon street team
0: actually another friend of ours ben you was saying to me what we need is ambassadors he specifically said you need to go out and find people who are really excited about macon and are really good at articulating themselves because you guys are not i was <laughs> like
1: in terms yeah. of ex- like communicating what it is, right? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah not I, not that we're bad at expression, but like people who are really excited and good at expressing excitement yeah. because we're we're not very good at that.
1: Yeah. Uh, the one thing I do recognize is that a lot of people <laughs> I'm chuckling to myself, but like a lot of people are like, Yeah, I want to make it. I don't really know what it is. Like that's probably 50% of the conversation with new people who have seen it prior but have not had a direct explanation. Yeah. You know.
0: Yeah. Actually, also this week, I had to explain to a, a good friend of mine yeah. who has known that I've been doing work for you guys for like
1: a year. What would you then, do, Sharice?
0: Yeah, but pretty much. Like just getting enough courage to be like, Sharice, can you just like break it down exactly what it is?
1: But I don't know why it's so difficult to explain. Is it that, okay, this is me maybe... How do I tread carefully here?
0: Do you, you mean you don't know how, why making is so difficult to
1: explain? I 100% agree that if I go on the web, there are some conceptual things that just are way out there, like far left, but this is like publishing, right? So that's why I, maybe it, is it thematically they don't know what it is? Is it, they don't know how to navigate the site? Is it, Maybe what is it's it?
0: just because, well, I, I'm thinking from my friend's perspective, who knows me? Yeah. Maybe it's just that it's a new thing that I'm doing and you just trust that person for yeah, a while yeah. instead of like actually investigating for yourself. Yeah. So you just go, oh, cool. Sure. Uh,
1: is it because it's ambiguous how it's described, which I agree. Like I w- I would say that in general, if you give me 10 opportunities to explain making, they'll be the same eight and a half times out of those 10. You know what I mean? Like there might be small deviations there mm-hmm. and maybe it's those deviations. Because at the end of the day, like, how do I explain it? It's a publication. Although even then, I'm not fully committed to that explanation because I think there's more to it. It's a podcast. It's this and that. I think it still bothers me, though. Maybe we should just call it something super redactive. Is that the right word?
0: But we say publication. Yeah. I don't know if that's the right use of that Uh,
1: word. Reductive, I think, is the word I want to use. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Basically, like, oh.
0: Well, anyway. It's
1: I, it's 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 a modern day blog.
0: I don't say that. Why? I was gonna say, because I don't want us to start on like this low tone, like we don't know how to describe ourselves. Despite our inability to describe ourselves properly, people are still hearing about us and are excited when they meet us, which is cool. That's what you started off by saying.
1: Sure, sure. <sighs>
0: Anything else you know going what? on
1: with you? This is, this is Kay. I, I don't want to continue talking about oh, this. Oh, my goodness. I just but, can't.
0: You can't. It's not possible to what, make you let I, go of a topic. What, what I
1: find is interesting.
0: Five hours later, Eugene what? will be like, Charisse, back out this morning. Yeah, oh, okay, continue, okay. continue.
1: What I find interesting is that I think for better or worse, the current trajectory of Macon is very difficult to significantly change because of the the internal culture. And the people that we choose to work and align with, and what I mean yeah. is that if you were to, if someone was to come in guns a blazing, like super braggadocious, I don't think they'd be super in. Super
0: braggadocious, love that word. Okay. That's a
1: word that Alex likes to use, actually.
0: Braggadocious.
1: Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Anyways, that's the thing. Is that okay. I so don't, if
0: this person comes in guns blazing, I think blazing. it'd be very
1: hard for us to integrate them, and like be like, yeah, this person doesn't fit the company culture. Yeah. But it's also to our detriment. So you might have a solid foundation in certain capacities, but you're certainly limiting yourself in other places where that sort of personality is 100% welcome. So maybe we just need to have an offsite a different office for this for these people. <laughs>
0: That's no? not where I thought you were going with that. I thought you were going to resuggest your making retreat thing where you want us to all go to Thailand or Vietnam and work for a month.
1: That's still happening. Right. Chengdu. I thought that's what you were going to suggest. But
0: actually what you're suggesting is we set up like I don't know, a Calgary office where we collect people that can't work. Well, that's where you're from.
1: No, it could be in Hong Kong. I'm not from Calgary. Are you not? Edmonton. Nicole's from Calgary. Regardless. Regardless. I I think that's the one thing that you start to realize like, hey, company culture is important, but then the personalities that you attract may not fall in line with the current sort of vibe. And what does that mean? Because I think different personalities. But maybe maybe I'm looking at it too superficially in the sense that, oh, if you're a master marketer, then you need to talk about yourself with great ease and just be like, oh, you know what? Guns a blazing. This is who I am. This is what I do. I'm oversimplifying it. You don't need to be that dude that no one wants to handle with and a master marketer. Right. Which I think this is really showing how how I lack a strong sense of like full grasp of marketing. <laughs> I think that's what it is. I think it's it's weird. It's easy to market for other people, but it's hard to market for yourself. I don't know.
0: Are you, I don't even feel like you do the majority of the marketing for other people.
1: No, but I'm saying like in a in an agency context, I would feel very confident going in and extracting stories and helping tell those stories. That's
0: true. I've heard you talk to some of our friends who are developing their own things
1: very I think that part is crystal clear I just feel physically uncomfortable executing it I think the whole like holistic vision oh marketing marketing fucking yeah anyways the I think it's easy to define that it's just I don't like I don't like
0: doing it well then you don't you shouldn't do it right you should should find someone else to do it yeah
1: Anyways, dude, we, we really went in on something we probably shouldn't have talked that much. All right, let's get, let's get going here. You start first.
0: I picked this essay, I guess. It's kind of like a profile, but it's also an essay in Eater. And it's about this woman named Lily Wen. She lives in Taitung, Taiwan, and she's part of this indigenous group in Taiwan, the Rukai. Apologies in advance. I don't know if these are correct pronunciations. She's part of the Rukai people, specifically the Taromac tribe. And what happened to her tribe is a really common story for tribes across the world. They used to live in the mountains. And then the Japanese, when they overtook Taiwan, forced them down from their village. And then when the Chinese arrived, they forced them to learn Chinese. And then when these missionaries arrived, they forced them to adopt Christianity, right? So just erosion of that tribe's natural culture of their indigenous culture. So what Lily is doing now, she's um, she's kind of gone through this journey. She actually went to like Western universities and studied um, abroad and attended conferences. And then it was only recently that she came around to thinking, actually, I need to support my own indigenous culture. I want to be able to keep that going, to increase awareness, right? So she opened a restaurant that's dedicated to the food originally produced by her people. So she uses ingredients that they would have used. She gathers things from the forest and she prepares these meals in like old school ways, like in ways that you wouldn't see yeah. necessarily in a modern restaurant. Can I restaurant. just jump
1: in real quick? Yeah. What I find interesting and also difficult is in the age of documentation, why is it that, these movements are struggling you think to capture the essence of their culture to create a home for it online that can spread the message do you think it actually comes back to what we're talking about at the very beginning about like just marketing you
0: know what's funny is because I said I didn't want to talk about tech this week but I do think part of the reason this story is fascinating is because of how of the influences of tech on it like influences of our modern day culture and technology on. This story. So first of all, like part of the reason why, if we ignore the colonization stuff, okay, in the modern era, part of the reason why these indigenous cultures are eroding is because, you know, people are attracted to big cities, Mm -hmm. attracted to social media, attracted to many other things. And, you know, finding out how to smoke, I don't know what it is, a boar, a squirrel that she makes, right? Yeah. So there, that's part of it. She mentions that too. Like there's not a lot of youth left in her tribe. Yeah. And then also, wouldn't it be kind of, what's the word? Like it doesn't match if her oh, restaurant has, yeah. Yeah. If her restaurant had like really good social media, isn't that but strange? I, I
1: think it's different though. Because at the end of the day, like her food is very much a storytelling medium. Yeah. So why not? I think social media and any sort of marketing is just the ability to capture the essence of that. So I, I, I'm a little bit off the rails here, but part of me really wonders is like, yo, know, people like Lily, if you don't go and offer and find a way to like encapsulate your culture, it's, it's literally going to die off.
0: But it's so funny that that's, and I understand what you're saying is like, you have to use those tools, marketing, social media yeah. to help further your mission yeah. right her mission of preserving indigenous culture even though those tools are not originally part of her culture yeah like her experience she's crafted it so it's not just the food but the restaurant all the seating is outdoors it's handcrafted furniture so it's just kind of funny that amidst yeah. all of that what you need is you need bloggers and influence sorry influencers and other people yeah. to come and take photos and share sorry. it otherwise it won't
1: yeah. Keep on going.
0: But it can't be sustainable.
1: I think that even, even before you start to say, hey, you need to be good at social media, I don't think, I think good is a relative term. It's like, oh, you need a great camera. Mm-hmm. Mm. Maybe it's more along the lines of consistency. Because at the end of the day, social media is generally the amplification of something that could happen in real life. It's just that you're increasing the distribution channels, right? Instead of me talking to you, who will hopefully talk to 10 other people. It's me talking to several thousands of people who hopefully will speak to another several thousands.
0: This is a different uh, chain of thought. But what you said before about the food that she prepares is so much for storytelling. Like it's, it's perfect for it. And I actually think this Eater article is written really well because it talks about the kinds of ingredients she uses, the process, like each step of that process. And I can imagine each dish she makes could be like a 200, 300 word. Yes yeah. as well. Yeah. You could just break down like where you find this ingredient, like what season it's from. Part of the reason it's not spreadable is because I think we talked about this before like how people when we talk about critical thinking and I said, you know, people are lazy. I think something like this is difficult to spread because it requires a lot of reading and learning.
1: The, I think what even trumps that is experientially you cannot experience food without being present. I, I would argue and push back against what you said in the sense that, hey, it's incongruent with how their culture is currently. If we adopt that mindset and you just get left behind, I think that you sort of need to be aware of how things are. And it's I think it's a bit of a uh, an old school mentality to think that, hey, you know what, I'm going to maintain my lifestyle living regardless of what changes occur around me. Because at the end of the day, it's about sustainability in a way too. If I if I don't adopt and sort of at least understand this new wave of thinking, and that's obviously a relative mm-hmm. thing. What happens if I cease to exist? Would you rather cease to exist in you know two generations' time, or would you rather find a way to create a stronger foundation? So, hey, you know what? Maybe you're starting to adopt interest and insight and people. I think around the world, they're coming to visit you.
0: One of the reasons I pushed back against using social media and marketing, like Lily, when using social media and marketing, is because I associate those things with wanting to scale. Mm -hmm. And while I, I don't know what Lily's personal mission is, but I don't imagine that she does want to scale, like. She, her restaurant seats thirty people. Like her goal is not to
1: I don't think that then you seat
0: sixty yeah. or hundred. But do you see what I'm saying? Is like how I would have connected social yeah. media and marketing and like a bigger tech question that I way I with scaling. Yeah. I,
1: I think there's a lot of ways of of unpacking that. I don't disagree with scale, right? I think that is in fundamentally one of the things that are baked into social media, and that's what you what a lot of people use it for to reach more people. But at the same time, social media which maybe I'm making a leap and maybe it's wrong for me to assume that you should have assumed it. If that makes sense, it's like social media are some of the easiest content creation tools for documentation. And they allow just you to speak to people that otherwise would not have the ability to experience what you're doing. So even if they, you know, scale is also relative. It's like, Hey, maybe she's only speaking to the hundred people that come to a restaurant. Now she can speak to 500 people who have aspirations of going to a restaurant, but you know at least they can keep tabs on her via what's being put on Instagram. That's the way I look at it. I, I think that there's different ways of um, approaching how social media can be applied. And I'm not going to go through the laundry list of things it can do, but I would rank connectivity up there with scale. It's just that scale seems to be the dominant reason why people bring it up.
0: Okay, I just want to double check our basic premise here because our basic premise is that she's not doing things online. So she does have a Facebook page and it's very well reviewed. Her restaurant is very well reviewed and a lot of people have liked it. And in that case, it's kind of like she didn't have to do anything. People love it enough that they were putting her on yeah. the map, yeah, so to speak.
1: But what do you think is more important, preservation of culture or... Keeping something small.
0: I can't believe we're still talking about tech. This is so weird. Um, pres- yeah, that was a Okay, But I think it's, so, okay. In this particular case, I think preservation of culture does require to keep things small because she gathers natural ingredients from the forest, True. right? Yeah. And plants can only grow, you know, in certain, I don't, I really don't yeah. know that much about plants, but yeah. this is what I got. There's a
1: limited There's a limited
0: amount they grow in certain seasons, you can't like overpick, right? Or no, else I agree. you won't be able to cook more. So in her specific case, I feel like she has to stay small because she's gathering like veggies and other ingredients from the area in which her tribe originally lived. That's a limitation. No. And there are things like the process in which she prepares food that could be scaled. Yeah. Like this underground oven that she uses to cook taro, but it's not going to be all parts of it. And okay, yeah. wait, did you, I don't know if you read this part of the essay, but she says she actually wants to move back to their ancestral site, which was like up the mountain that the Japanese chased them out of and start an eco village and permaculture farm. I don't actually understand either of those terms. Basically though, she wants to build something new yeah, back where they used to live which I think is really cool. Yeah. I think the primary reason I was attracted to this essay is because I have never thought about the idea of ancestral foods for myself. Mm -hmm. Because I don't feel like it, I don't feel like I have anything.
1: Disagree. I think what it comes down to is it really depends on which which cultural group you you fit in with. Because this is a very specific cultural group. Whereas like, let's say you and I are, Cantonese right Uh given there's a sufficiently large base there are still foods that you and I probably don't eat that often but if you want to go get a traditional dish from you know the world of Cantonese cuisine you can still get it
0: or maybe what I'm trying to say is I, I know obviously there are older Canton dishes but I don't know the stories behind any of these foods
1: but they're also a little bit more accessible
0: yes but you also they don't have Maybe they do have interesting stories and we just haven't pursued them.
1: Yeah.
0: So that was actually the part that drew me. Is like, actually, a lot of the food I eat regularly, I don't think about it in any kind of historical context. I think about it in terms of yeah. just nutrition or does this taste good?
1: The greatest thing about food is that it's it's a part of culture that is immune to a lot of things, meaning, you know, things like, technological change, political instability, you know, and that's the one thing that as you go, you know, China's had its culture raised and like raised in the sense of like destroyed, you know, a few times over the last few thousand years. And what's the one thing that generally has been able to subsist is like, you can wipe out the literature, the knowledge, but are you going to really tell people you cannot eat a certain food?
0: No, I agree. But I think maybe what's lost is, telling these stories about that food, especially for us living in a big city. We don't think about, and this is like on us, right? Is we yeah. don't think about how plants are grown, like why this particular plant. And also this is something that's not, not immune is that unlike Lily, who I assume collects things in certain seasons. Now we can eat whatever, whenever. Yeah. And I'm not su- suggesting that I want to go back to a time where you could only eat tomatoes at like X month, Yeah. right? But it is interesting to think that because we can eat tomatoes or bok choy all year round, you lose that connection to how the earth actually yeah, works. that I agree. And again, it's not like I want to return to this earlier you ancestral You just want to age. have
1: access to it in a way that allows you to learn about it, but in a way that actually makes it a lot of sense. It's like I always, I always find it interesting when you have non-competing pieces of culture that are kind of complementing each other. If you're eating something you can simply listen to mm-hmm. while someone's telling you, explaining. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not a matter of people don't care. It's who has gone the next, to the next steps to actually bring that and introduce that into the mix. I mean, you go to like a quote unquote better restaurant and they personally pride themselves on making sure you know what this is. Why is it good? Where is it coming from?
0: I feel like even better restaurants, I only hear about what it is.
1: Yeah. But maybe that's the thing is that if you were to ask them, I can guarantee they it's could tell true. you. It's really about true. it's it's really about if I'm gonna put a plate down, are you okay for me to speak ten minutes about the origins? Or honestly, the, the bigger thing is like yo'll eat your food first while it's still hot and then we can talk well, about it. Well it's interesting
0: it. because what you're suggesting, that kind of experience. I've come closest to when eating omakase. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: which is when a uh, Japanese chef, Chef's choice. Yeah, yeah, chef's choice. But I think that in connection to this piece, I'm interested in foods that are dishes that I might personally have some kind of cultural connection to. Like cha Like, Barbecue is there a story rice. behind... Oh, right. Sorry. <laughs> is there a Jeez. story behind... <laughs> Is there a story behind barbecue pork rice that I don't know?
1: Are you familiar with uh, um, that one Chinese dish, Buddha jumps over the wall?
0: No. What's the name of this dish?
1: I mean, it's probably like just a translation of it. But So the story behind this is that it's like a, it sounds really weird saying this, like a Chinese casserole in the sense that there's a ton of stuff just thrown in there. You Are you Googling right now? Yes, I'm Googling it right now.
0: Okay. From Wikipedia. It is a variety of shark fin soup in Fujian cuisine. That's all I got. The mm. dish's name is an allusion to the dish's ability to entice the vegetarian monks from their temples to partake in the meat-based dish.
1: I don't think shark's fin is actually a requirement. Oh, oh, okay, Wait,
0: wait, no. Here, I have a more full recipe. It requires many ingredients, including quail eggs, bamboo shoots, scallops, sea cucumber, abalone, shark fin, fish maw, chicken, jinhua ham, pork tendon, ginseng, mushrooms, and taro. Ooh, some recipes require up to 30 ingredients.
1: Actually, I'm a little disappointed because I thought this was a really old school dish. I don't think it is.
0: I don't think it But no, it's not. Since it's Qing Dynasty, it could have been 1644.
1: Oh, so it actually has been around for a minute.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh okay, and Qing Dynasty dates back to yeah.
0: Well, it's from 1644 to 1912, so, so we don't know.
1: I thought what why why I thought that was interesting is because that's something that I remember. I was like nine or ten years old, and I was in Canada mm-hmm. at a Chinese restaurant, and my parents introduced me to that.
0: This is so cool.
1: Honestly, it's like pun chai, which is something you yeah. kind of have yeah. during.
0: But I also don't know why we eat pun chai.
1: Pun chai is literally a Chinese casserole. It's literally like a layered casserole with... like
0: I must not really know what a casserole is in Western cuisine. It's like a
1: one-pot dish.
0: I was going to say, or maybe one of the reasons why Lily Wen's story resonates with me is because I have no connection to planting or how vegetables are grown or knowing the right time to pick a vegetable to eat it. And I don't know if I'm genuinely interested in that, like in experiencing that for myself, but I am fascinated in reading about it and the idea that this is a skill that is lost to most people my age.
1: Yeah. Shall we move on? We actually spoke far more about that than I expected. Keeping with the food narrative, I don't know why I gravitated towards this piece. Um, basically, it's talking about what is the future of dining in the sky, aka airplane food. So the original piece that inspired this was on Skift, which is sort of this travel meets technology platform publication. And it was an interview with Anne how I'm pretty sure I'm skewing that a little bit, but she I believe she's Dutch. Anyways, she's a vice president of Gate Group, who are the largest airline caterer and retailer who are based in China. Obviously, I don't need to say this, but everyone's kind of familiar with the gripes about airplane food. How bad is it? Very bad, most people say. It's too salty, too greasy, clearly reheated. And one thing that's interesting about Da Hao's perspective is that You know, they work with over 300 airlines, so they have a pretty good pulse on what's going on, like what what are airlines saying. And it's interesting to see the dining habits and the consumer choices that go on. For example, as much as people say they want a healthy choice, she had an example where they would stock one fruit salad on the plane and... No one would ever buy it.
0: it was so funny though because yeah. she was saying that people like to see it on the menu yes. they like to know that you provide healthy options, but they don't actually pick it I
1: still want the burger if it exists um, and yeah, other interesting points include people are often a little bit annoyed with the fact you have to eat when they say you have to eat but and everyone eats at the same time yeah and there's but there's actual labor laws that mm-hmm. prevent you from serving whenever because the stewardess need a certain amount of rest. Yeah. That's kind of interesting. Um, and I think other things too, and this kind of tips back into what we said before is future developments in the space include creating apps to educate flight attendants on the food they're serving, the origins, and even maybe a little bit of background on the wine. So I think that's probably not necessarily going to trickle down into economy anytime soon, but to know it's there, I think it it's making people understand a bit more where your food's coming from, which I think has an underlying importance to it regardless yeah, like where especially your when from. you're in the air yeah and you know th- this is something that i think launched mm, yesterday earlier this year cathay pacific which is hong kong's national airline they released a beer that was supposed to be perfect or ideal for consumption 35,000 feet in the air
0: i'm interested
1: i've had it um, have you
0: yeah in the air
1: not in the air oh. I don't really drink, but
0: it's the best at 35,000 feet.
1: Yeah. So having said that, what I'm interested to hear from you, and obviously, Sharice, you've done your fair share of traveling. Where does food rank within the overall importance of the flying experience? And is it worth improving upon knowing all the resources, everything that goes into it? Or should you just make it, you know, kind of an add-on and less of a, hey, there's always food.
0: You know, what's interesting is that my cousin Jane, Scott's younger sister, we mentioned Scott before, works for Gate Gourmet, which is part of the gate group. Yeah.
1: Have you ever talked to her about sort of We thoughts? have.
0: We have. I don't have any, I don't really have any additional insider information, but yeah. it really enlightened me. So some of the things that DeHau says in this article were not surprising to me because I had heard them from Jane before, Correct. primarily regarding the logistics and, and that a lot of the focus um for airline food suppliers does not focus on the taste or uh, uh, t- to be clear, they try their best. Right. Yeah. But a lot of the difficulties actually come with how do you get the food from the kitchen to the plane Yeah, and like the right plane at the right time. And, and to how mentioned that too, like the services on at an airport are expensive, you know, yeah. like loaders, trucks, and et cetera. I mean,
1: if you're going to add stuff onto the payload, that inherently isn't going to be appreciated. Why not just remove it?
0: It's just like to someone on the ground who hasn't thought about it, it might seem so simple to be like, "Oh yeah, like you should have two cake options or whatever it is," but it doesn't it's not that easy not at feasible. all.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So that's really interesting. And I think like before Jane started working there, I was someone who was more critical. And and, and not like Jane is like trying to convert me to be like sympathetic, but I think just listening to her Talk about the difficulties she has on the job organizing rosters of people to load the planes, etc. I, mm-hmm. I appreciate the amount of planning that goes yeah. into it.
1: How would you feel if you were on a plane ride and there was no food option, but you had a cheaper ticket? Although it wouldn't obviously be massively cheaper, you just wouldn't have to okay. pay for it. You wouldn't so, have to like pay like you would check in for. Yeah, the how
0: suggests that millennials like to pay for good food would rather be it would rather have the option of paying for good food than having free food that's not as good but I personally do not feel that way
1: because it's not going to be that much better if I'm i yeah I don't in, have to right?
0: believe that it'll be that much better and maybe because I have been I have been fortunate enough to be flying since I was a little kid and I'm just really used to the Mediocre free meal food. I don't know. I've I've never been someone who, I'm not the person who's like, oh, I don't eat airplane food. I will usually eat 80% of it. Yeah. like Until I'm full. And I don't really, it doesn't bother me. I don't think I would pump for a paying.
1: Yeah, you wouldn't be pumped for it, right? No. I I wonder if you should just omit the fact that taste will never be, you know, up there because you can't achieve it. And why not just change the overall sort of expectation maybe make it more healthy right i
0: mean she says people don't want it to be healthy
1: no but i'm just saying like in in general like if you can okay so like let's say there's a there's a, a holy trinity of things like is it healthy does it taste good is it cheap why not focus on two rather than try to Shoot for the stars. I mean, cheap mm-hmm. is whatever. Relative. Wait, like,
0: tastes good. She talks about it. the reality yeah. is it cannot possibly taste more so. Fresh. Why
1: not focus on things? Yeah, just remove that from the agenda. like, it's not yeah. gonna taste like poop. All right, but yeah. can it just be like, oh, if I if I ate something like it doesn't taste great, it's borderline, but at least I know it's healthy.
0: Actually, something she does talk about, which I I am all for, even though this won't like economically benefit me, is cutting down on waste because I often don't eat. The free dessert.
1: Yeah, I don't... The dessert depends. So like the standard airplane meal
0: is you get a main, you get a bread and butter, you get like a tiny salad, you get some yeah. kind of dessert. Yeah. And I usually don't eat the dessert yeah. or I eat like one bite of it. Yeah. So I don't even... I don't want to pay more for a dessert, but I would prefer if I could say actually... Or say in advance, like I yeah. don't need a dessert. And yeah. it could cut down on the, like the amount of food that they serve.
1: I wonder if pre-planning could also come into the mix if you could before you fly, be given the option to like pick and choose your meal. And then mind you, this is a whole logistical headache that you would probably introduce. But if you know exactly what someone's ordering, or would that change? But then people are like, oh like I'm hungry right now. Can I actually add something? Oh sorry we don't have anything. Yeah. Or just be like, hey, you can buy some more food. I don't know. I just feel personally there's a lot of food that goes that's wasted and like how do you find a way? Period. Not even in the airline industry. I don't eat, I don't ever eat the bun. Right. Okay. And so, like, I don't need that. Think of, yeah,
0: that's what I'm saying.
1: Nah, you don't need to just, you
0: don't even feel bad that you're not, that like you paid for a full meal and you're not getting it. I just you don't just want to waste would it. like to not waste the food.
1: Yeah. But, if they could work that out, yeah.
0: that'd, be, that'd be a good change.
1: So, I would, like, I guess my, my major takeaways are like, what happens if you just reposition? how the overall expectation is for the end user. Meaning, hey, maybe taste, you don't have to try to shoot for the stars. To I'm be.
0: never going to see, you're never going to see an airplane say, like, we're no longer aiming for taste though.
1: Oh yeah. You know what? I'm probably thinking of it way too practically because I'd rather like, if it's not going to taste good, at least let's make it healthy. You know what
0: I mean? I don't, I mean, I think it, you could eventually, a win-win situation is to get the cost down for everyone in a way that's smart, and then you can also communicate that to your passengers. and Your ticket is cheaper because we have this new system in place. But I think it
1: products. also depends because not every user is looking for price savings. Some people just want a better experience. I don't actually don't. Well, even I mean, know there's a difference between
0: business and economy too.
1: Yeah, or a premium economy, whatever it may yeah. be. Yeah. Have you ever sat business? Yeah. And what are your thoughts on the food in business? It's better. But it's still not, like, amazing in your eyes. It's
0: never... I just don't think I...
1: Do you look look forward to the food during a business class flight?
0: I don't look forward to the food at all on an airplane other than for sustenance. So you eat I get hungry. Yeah. So I need to eat something. I can't not... Especially because we in Hong Kong, we do a lot of...
1: Like, longer haul flights. Long haul
0: flights. You're not going to not eat for 13 hours.
1: I'm curious what would happen. We serve the healthiest food. We're the sky's healthiest airline put it that way
0: i mean it sounds good
1: but the thing is like if it sounds good then there's probably people that are more interested in being healthy because at the end of the day True. do you are would you are would you say that a kale salad tastes better than a burger no probably not so at least there's a there's a there's a subset of people out there whether they can support an airline i don't know it's <laughs> not my job but is there a subset out there that are willing to compromise on taste because the taste is never going to be there for the, a kale salad.
0: I think as a consumer, my choice in flights boils down to the ticket price.
1: Yeah. At your current point in time. Right. Because you at, are like.
0: At my current point yeah. in
1: time. Yeah.
0: I I mean, okay. In the States, I might opt for a slightly more expensive ticket only based off of customer service records. Yeah. But I don't think I would ever pick a ticket based off of food. No. No.
1: No. Yeah. But I would also consider one.
0: So that's actually why she actually ends to how she ends this interview by saying it. She brings it back to what I've said about customer service is that it doesn't matter what the food is or is not. It boils down to the way the crew interacts mm-hmm. with the customer. If the crew is not friendly or hospitable, then it doesn't matter how good the food is. Mm mm-hmm like for and when i say it doesn't matter it just mean like it doesn't matter overall for the airline's impression and for the passenger's rating of an yeah. airline
1: yeah
0: i think innovations would be i mean I, I i imagine that the big innovations in airline catering are not things that you and i as passengers are going to see anyway it's probably yeah. things in the back end of
1: yeah supply chain how fast
0: can we do loading like yeah. how soon could we get an additional meal to the gate like yeah. Things like that, right? Yeah. I mean, I, at least I hope that they innovate in those areas. And they don't just think about like, how do we make the salad a little bit better for you and me? Like, let's also... Because a lot of people are behind the scenes in preparing this stuff. Like, let's make it easier for them. Yeah. And when well, I say... How would you minute, feel
1: if you were presented with like a soylent shake as your meal? That was your option?
0: I would be impressed by the innovation.
1: Well, let's just say hypothetical. if you're going to, if they said that, you know, they're spending $25 per person for meals in business class, like let's say a Soylent shake is like five bucks. And for those unfamiliar with Soylent, it's kind of like the modern.
0: I mean, I would be like, really curious. It would be creative. It's kind of like how the cafe beer thing is creative. Yeah. I would think, oh, someone at this airline is thinking about how do we shake things up a little bit?
1: Yeah.
0: We'll shake things up. Sorry. <laughs> Um, you know how budget airlines, actually this is probably true for North America too, but you know how budget airlines in Hong Kong, they don't come with free food already. And then usually people just don't eat food.
1: But those are also short hauls. Yes. Right. That's a big difference. Honestly, if there was no food on an airplane for long haul, short hauls, whatever, just refreshments, I think I'd be okay with it.
0: Well, yes, because
1: but no, it's more like Can you be left your own devices to figure out the food Oh,
0: Like you were allowed to just buy something from the airport.
1: Wouldn't everyone be happier?
0: Yeah, maybe. Like
1: maybe if they came in a way where it's like, I'm just making this up. But like if there was a universal sort of airplane type packaging per airport or whatever, and then it could be recyclable, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Like just standard, standardize that. And then, Hey, you know what? It's, it's, Spill proof. It's whatever, and you eat it when you're ready.
0: Actually, that's really interesting.
1: Because then you there's like the one thing they do bring up is like reheating is difficult, right? Because of whether it's a battery or whatever. But I'm sure there's flameless ways of reheating food. But I think you would generate more
0: plastic waste that way.
1: It that that is not the actual sort of argument right now. It's kind of right. Okay, Okay. Let's just say you were able to find a way where it's like.
0: The waste was the same. Yeah, as the airplane food situation. Actually, that would be better.
1: I would just pick because then you could just
0: pick whatever food you wanted let's just at say the like, airport,
1: like the lunchable snack pack, but like in a elevated yeah, yeah, form. Yeah, yeah,
0: I get it. That's cool. I'd be down. Anyone work at HKIA? And then
1: you know, oh, take, this is this, this is idea. me just letting my my mind roam. But it could be like. Like a, a modular thing where you could snap on like different oh God. things. So like you'd you start and with an Nate, you entree,
0: love modular. and then
1: and then you would have a little. It'd almost be like Lego, where like, hey, I want um, a small salad. Oh, I want a fruit cup, and it would just be like this thing that could, you know, snap together.
0: It's a good idea.
1: Let's end it there. If you guys <laughs> want to talk more about this idea, you know where to find me. <laughs>
0: okay good place to end if you are interested in hearing more about Macon and our membership opportunities which include a slack community weekly briefings exclusive content you can check us out at making.com. there you'll read and listen to more of our stories focused on the sights and sounds of creative culture
1: You can also subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and platforms. If you like this podcast, do us a huge favor by reviewing us on iTunes or as it's shown to be successful, tell a friend, pass the word along. I'm Eugene. I'm Sharice. And this is Making It Up.